Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we're talking about love. This is our fourth week, um, uh, a series on love, learning to love from Jesus. Um, we need it, right? Our culture um, desperately needs it. The church has to lead the way. Who else is gonna lead the way um, on this? We've got to be taught um, by him. And um, by the way, we're, uh, when we finish this, at the end of May, we're gonna start a series of summers on, on the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'm kind of enjoying talking about love before we get to Ecclesiastes. Going to be a real challenge. So um, listen, love is uh, love is hard. Um, we're not good at it. That's why we need a teacher, right? Uh, we need Jesus to teach us how um, to do this. There's lots of love out there. There's lots of love talk. There's a lot of ooey gooey, sentimental. I love you. You're my boo. She's my best friend. Um, you know, just that nauseating, um, um, you know, when I'm with, when, when I, even when I see him, I just get all the feels. Um, there's lots of easy, thin, shallow, watery um, love, but listen, uh, love's really hard. Um, love's not sweet and sickly. You know, right over there on Saturday nights for a number of years sat a man, second row, sat a man named Harry Austin. And Harry Austin often had his wife sitting with him or slumping against him because she was well into dementia and decline and, um, uh, and yet he um, fed her, bathed her, cared for her, put her in a wheelchair, took her to church, doted on her, devoted his life, all of his energy every day to his failing wife year after year after year. That's what love looks like. It's hard. It's really hard. It's exhausting. It looks like, you know, it's great when a policeman picks up a basketball and he plays a basketball with the kids in, in his, you know, area that he works. But think of that policeman charging into a domestic dispute. Like, who wants to be there knowing that there's violence in this home and having to seize, size up what's happening there and, uh, and make, that's, that's, that's love, uh, boots on the ground, right? That's the hard. Think of the, uh, a woman and, uh, and, and her child. Um, so the woman who has um, nausea, not just the first trimester, but all nine months. Um, she's sick. Maybe she's in um, bed. Then she uh, has a difficult delivery. Then she has postpartum depression. Um, and uh, then she's got a, a, all that uh, exhaustion. And then that just, then she has 18 years, right? Um, and then maybe she's got a couple other uh, little ones. And maybe she has to delay her career and her vocational aspirations and other things to pour herself into her family, um, that's love. That's what love looks like. It's hard. Love is really difficult. So we need a teacher. How do we do this hard love? That's what we're talking about um, this morning. So stand if you're able and you're willing. I'm gonna read two little scenes that we see um, in Jesus' encounters. The first is a, a dinner party that Jesus attends. Something very bizarre happens there. It's from Luke chapter seven. Hear the word of God. 
One of the Pharisees asked um, Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, now sinner is a euphemism for prostitute, Uh, so this woman learned that Jesus was in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, a Pharisee was a very conservative religious leader, someone very serious about religion, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this whole scene, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus said, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So I'm also going to read from Mark chapter 3, another um, scene where Jesus encounters an encounter he has in the synagogue in, um, in worship. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. He's got a palsied hand. He's handicapped. And they were watching Jesus to see whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. This would be working on the Sabbath day. And uh, Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to those who were watching, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill? They were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now the Pharisees, the religious conservatives, went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, thinking about how they could destroy him. This then is the reading of the very word of God. The grass withers, The flower fades, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. So who is this Jesus? I mean, Jesus is not who you think um, he is. Jesus just said stuff that uh, we think of Jesus, if I said, write down some of your favorite um, sayings of Jesus. I bet almost no one would put when Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Right? Wait, that's, wait, he said that? Um, Jesus is not who we think um, he is. Do you know, um, I read just this week that there was an Elvis Presley impersonate, uh, impersonators um, night at a uh, restaurant in Memphis. Now, this is many years ago when Elvis was still alive. Elvis used to frequent this restaurant before he was a somebody, and um, he, um, they fed him, took care of him. He had a fondness for this place, so there. 
they're having an Elvis Presley impersonators uh, night contest, and Elvis decides he's gonna go. He sits in the back, he's uh, incognito, kind of sits in the darkness there, his presence is unrecognized, and one after another, the different Elvis impersonators get up and do their uh, thing, they try to look like Elvis, they sing like Elvis, and then uh, very last of all, uh, Elvis himself gets up and sings Love Me Tender. And they took a vote and Elvis lost. <laughs> he came in third in the Elvis Presley impersonator contest. Well, here's the deal, if Jesus showed up and we were having a Jesus impersonator contest, Jesus, I don't think, would finish in the top 10. Um, we wouldn't recognize him because he's not who we think he's full of extraordinary surprises. His behavior is startling. Think of how he teaches us how to love in, in these vignettes I've just read about. The first one I read is that he's invited to a dinner party. That's nice, he's a guest at a dinner party at someone's house. And this very uncomfortable thing happens, right? This um, prostitute actually comes and makes a very big deal over um, Jesus and um, uh, Jesus um, was not well treated by the host. He wasn't um, um, warmly greeted. And so Jesus calls out the host in front of all his guests. He doesn't say to the host, Simon, can I talk to you for just a minute? You know, outside, in private. Actually, in front of all of the guests there, Jesus tells uh, all the guests and Simon that the prostitute loves people better than Simon does. Now, in any culture, we would call that behavior what? Rude, right? So here's Jesus, that's what we got. That's what it looks like to love. And the second little one I read is Jesus is in church and he gets angry, and one thing we realize is that Jesus gets angry a lot. So what's that got to do with um, love? That's what we're gonna to learn together. Jesus teaches us how to use honest words to love and how to channel deep passion to love. So buckle your seatbelts, love is hard, and Jesus is gonna show us how. So you ready to go? Got a sermon outline, it's right in your worship folder, right on the inside um, cover, and uh, it'll help you. Got two points. Hallelujah. Um, Here's the first, how do we love with our words, right? How do we do honest um, love? Jesus tells the truth, he's a startling um, truth teller. Now, our goal isn't to love, in a sense, like Jesus. You know why? Because you're not Jesus. You're not God, you'll never know what he knows, you're not om omnipotent, and you're not without sin, right? The Bible says before you love people, take the log out of your own eye, guess what? Something Jesus never had to do, right? He never had to remove the, the, the log from his own eye. So we, we're never gonna love like Jesus. He's Jesus, we're not Jesus. But we can learn to love from Jesus, right? He is the teacher. So he is honest. He is committed to the truth. Uh, we just read about his, uh, uh, with Simon. Um, Simon is hiding behind a facade of goodness. He wants to show all his friends that in a sense, he's not a party to this Jesus. So he doesn't treat Jesus um, kindly. He doesn't uh, give him the greeting of a kiss. He doesn't uh, wash his feet. He doesn't, uh, he's rude to Jesus. Why? Because he wants his friends to see that he is good and he won't mix with this sort. And then a, the prostitute, of course, that sets Simon off completely, right? And uh, Jesus just punctures 
his facade of, uh, of being proper and, uh, and good. Jesus tells the truth. Now, there's another case where Jesus goes to a dinner party again. Uh, you know, lesson even to thick learners like us. Don't invite Jesus to your, you know, dinner at your house. Uh, so he gets invited to another um, dinner party. And, uh, and, and Jesus um, chides all the people at the dinner party for the way that they vie to be uh, at the head table, uh, in seats of prominence, uh, up front, that they very much want to be seen by other people at the um, uh, dinner party uh, as being important, as being players, right? You know what I'm talking about. And Jesus chides them for that. He says, go sit in the back, take the least seat, be the servant, right? And then Jesus turns to the um, host and he calls out the host. He says, you invited all the wrong people. When you give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or all the rich people um, so they can invite you in return and repay you. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and the blessed. So he calls out all the people attending it. He calls out the host. He says, you, you got all the wrong people here. Um, Jesus is a truth teller. Jesus um, tells Martha the truth. Remember, Martha, um, uh, she just wants her sister Mary to help in the kitchen, right? Um, what does Jesus say? Martha, 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 right? You are worried about so many things, but you completely miss the most important thing, but your sister has, has done it. Leave her alone, right? He corrects Peter. Peter, before the night's over, you will deny me. Lord, not going to happen. These clowns, they'll deny you, not me. And, um, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You, you, Peter, you will deny me. Jesus tells the truth. I mean, he called Herod a fox. Herod happened to be the king. He calls the Pharisees a brood of snakes. He is a fearless truth teller. So let's talk about this. Telling the truth. Loving people with honest words. Honesty matters. Truth matters. It matters in relationships. If husbands and wives can't tell the truth, there's a breach there. The marriage won't be what it can be and should be. Parents have to be able to tell the truth to kids. You've got to tell the truth in, um, in the workplace, uh, right? Uh, you can't have harmony on a team if there's the proverbial elephant in the room. There's some problem that has to be brought up and it has to be dealt with if a team, if a, uh, if a company, um, if a church uh, is going to function properly. Truth matters. So many years ago, I remember I gathered all our staff together here at the church, weren't so many of us then, and I said, um, hey, let's dream together about the, ch the church we want to be, the church we could be, so let's talk about what's broken here. Uh, that we might really give our attention to so we can take advantage of the opportunities that are before us. So you know, let's just go around and have open, honest sharing about what's, uh, what's broken and uh, what would make working here a more of a joy to you. And I remember the first guy raised his hand and he said, uh, I don't think we're really even gonna do this little thing that you're suggesting. I said, oh, and he said, uh, because I think the last two years we've done this and we've all had consensus and told you that there's a personnel problem here and, uh, and it needs to be fixed and it's ruining the, 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 the culture of our whole team 
and you're the only one that can do anything about it and you refuse to do anything about it, so why should we even bother? Why go through this exercise again? In essence, he was saying, because you're too much of a coward um, to do what needs to be done. I needed to hear those words. Now, some of you are thinking, I wonder who that was. The body has never been found of that staff (laughs) member. um, We gotta hear the, um, we gotta hear the truth. You know, I was was reading a a counselor, um, Lori Gottlieb uh, said, uh, in, in a book, uh, maybe you should talk to someone. That's the name of the book. Wise counselors offer wise compassion as opposed to what she calls idiot compassion. Idiot compassion is what our friends give us. Yes, that is so wrong. They are so wrong. You are so right. You are better off without him. Idiot compassion feels so delicious. We tell our version of the story and they have compassion for us in a way that doesn't question our story. They take our side. It feels good but it doesn't help us, it's not healing. Wise compassion tells us what we need to hear, patiently holding up a mirror so that we can see something about ourselves that we've not been willing to see, right? Need the truth. David was the king. He needed a prophet like Nathan, right? Who could very stealthily, very cagely, very wisely get around the side of David and say to David, you know what? It's you. The problem in this kingdom is you. It's you, David, right? We need the truth. Listen, I read uh, an article this week by a a young um, woman who, um, when she was in her early teens, decided that she was a male. Uh, She had female body, um, but uh, she decided she was a male, as is, uh, people are wont to do these days. And, um, and so instantly moved in, people giving her puberty blockers, surgery, all kinds of, she just basically, um, uh, her body was savaged by these um, treatments. And uh, by the time she's uh, you know, 18, 19, 20, um, she fully embraces being a woman, and now her body is uh, ruined and her life is altered. And you know what she cried out? Why didn't somebody tell me the truth? Why didn't an adult step up, an adult who knows that 85 to 95% of people who identify um, uh, as the opposite gender than what they actually are, eventually revert back to um, recognizing their God-given gender? Why didn't somebody tell me the truth, right? Children are owed the truth. People need the truth. There is a God, right? He assigns gender. That's the truth. You don't get your own truth, right? So, but here's our problem. So everybody agrees, truth's good, we need truth. Truth's really helpful. Here's the problem, we weaponize truth. We use our tongue to attack or defend. We use words not to love or not for the good of others and not with grace or humility but to correct, to injure, to show our superiority, to defend ourselves, to look good, to beat others down. A lot of uncharitable words are defended with, you know, I'm just telling the truth, right? I'm just being honest. Um, No, you're not being honest, you're you're being a jerk, um, is very often what you're being. You're using words to injure for your own good. 
Unfortunately, um, some people seem to get life out of being critical. We have a gotcha culture, don't we? So um, we know that when Donald Trump was president, it was a constant gotcha from the media, right? So now he's not the president. We have a new president. You know, if you were to turn on certain news stations to see, I remember one day it was like, John Kerry's out, uh, he, he's doing this and he's not wearing a mask. John Kerry's not wearing a mask. And then John Kerry's on an airplane and he's the global warming czar and he's on this expensive private jet and he's consuming more fuel and producing more carbon than anyone else. And every day, all you get on the news is, gotcha, 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 gotcha. I caught you, I caught you. You're a hypocrite, you're a liar, you're evil, you're against this nation, you're, and, uh, and, and don't you see it comes from both sides? And none of it contributes to our national good. None of it. And yet we feed our souls with this filth of gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, it's going to take God's... Listen, I, I know it. I, I, I'm a preacher. Do you know that there was a guy for years, after every service, he would greet me outside and tell me what I said wrong? Um, and it, and I'm, gonna, I'm not kidding. 49 out of 50 times, he was wrong. Um, <laughs> but it didn't dissuade him. And, and it usually had nothing to do. Oh, you said that Napoleon was exiled to the island of Elba in 1814. I think it was 1813. <laughs> well, I repent and I retract everything I said in the sermon. Um, um, some people get life out of being critical. And, uh, and I know it because that lives inside of me. Um, that has been me um, in my life. I remember going to speak at a, at a conference. I was so scared. I was in Spain. The room was filled with hundreds and hundreds of missionaries. They're all doing things for Jesus, so much more faithful and bold than, than I am. And I'm the speaker, and I'm there quivering. When I finish giving my first address, some guy pulls me aside. He says, could I talk to you in private? Uh, and we go through a back room. He says, no, another room, and then another room. And some, we're deep in the bowels of this building. And, and he sits me down, and he's, you know, he's about 21 years old, it looks like, or something and basically tells me how offended he was at something I said in my introduction to the whole talk and, uh, and castigates me. And, uh, and I remember God just gave me the security to say, to look him in the face and say, my friend, I gotta tell you, something's deeply wrong with you. Something is deeply wrong with you. Um, that, uh, that, you would, uh, that you would come here um, hear a message uh, from the Word of God, um, and, and this is your primary response. Um, and uh, I, I went out and I told one of the leaders of the conference, and they said, oh, he does that to all our speakers. Uh, so I wasn't special. Um, so here's the deal. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Okay, so we've got to use words. People, we've got to be truth tellers. But we have to do this with, uh, in love. Be quick to hear, the Bible says, and what? Slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. A commitment to truth-telling doesn't preclude being wise and sensitive, right? Um, there are a whole host of reasons that you should be slow to speak, right? Here's some of them, and, I, and there's many of them, but here's just some. 
when you should be slow to speak when the truth you're telling is actually about to helping you feel better, right? Oh man, I just knew I had to tell them that and now that I did, I will sleep well tonight. Great, great, you just dropped an atom bomb on, uh, on them, but you'll sleep better. Um, you should be slow to speak when it's really about you getting it off your chest. You should be um, slow to speak when, when you're just impatient um, because you've already told them what you're about to say over and over and over and you won't let God do the work of surgery in them. How often it's a good question to ask. If somebody says, should I, do you think I should say this to this person? Do you know what I, I ask almost every time? What? Have you already told them that? Have you already told them that? One father who is going to get on his teenage daughter once again to say, have you told her that already? Yeah, yeah, like about every other day for the last year. Well, then maybe shut up, right? Um, maybe you're telling, uh, you, you don't think she knows that, that you're going to tell her again? Um, listen, another reason we should be slow to speak is when we don't have standing, it's none of your business. Uh, another reason we should be slow to speak is that you've lost your right to speak because you've injured the other person so much that you're really not going to be the delivery vehicle of healing and insight. You know, I had a back surgery one time, and a couple weeks later, my herniated disc herniated again. I went back to the surgeon, and he said, well, we just need to operate again. And I said, I don't think so, right? If somebody operates on you, and they operate on you, and you don't get better, you might want to look for another doctor, right? Um, and so um, when you've really injured a person, you just might not be the person um, to, to uh, do surgery on another with your words. Here's another reason we should uh, be slow to speak. When there's not time to be honest in a way that would be helpful, you only have time to drop the truth bomb but not deal with the fallout. Listen, when you enter in, you guys know this, right? You know this if you're married. You know, if these conversations start at 11 at night, this is not a good thing, right? Because either you're just gonna say what you got to say and that's it because you don't really want the four-hour conversation that's gotta pursue at 11 at night, right? Um, you can't just drop the bomb and run. You can't dump and run. That's not fair. Um, they're just, and, and there should just be times where we should be quiet because our words are so unhelpful. If you say things like this, and you're a liar if you say you've never said things like this, you just don't get it. You never listen. You're never sorry. You're never wrong. Such sweeping generalizations are just dismissive. They're never helpful. They're never true. Um, and they just uh, injure. And um, so, so how do you become, how do you do this? Truth is good, we have to give the truth. But how do we tell the truth redemptively? What does the Bible say? You must learn the truth about yourself. You have to hear the truth about yourself. You have to become a student of you. Um, and we all know this scripture. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me get that little piece of lint, a little dust out of your eye. There's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye, right? There it is. How do you get the log out of your eye? 
Obviously, if you knew there was a log in your eye, you would take it out, but you don't know there is because we lack self-awareness, we lack self-knowledge. So we need people to tell us this, and they're not gonna tell us because it's not safe unless we invite them to, and unless we make it safe. You will live in the ignorance of who you are. So who are you gonna learn that from? Who knows you best? Your spouse, your parents, your children, your coworkers, right? Do you have the gospel security to say to them, What's it like to do life with me? What am I like? Um, what do you experience from me, right? I have people in this church that tell me my kids won't talk to me. Uh, my kids are alienated from me. All I can say is apologize for anything you know you can apologize for, but maybe you don't even know what, what you've ever done wrong. I said, invite your children Ask those questions to your children. Invite your children to tell you the truth. If they can't even be in your presence, invite them to write it down, that's fine. And when they do, don't you dare correct them, don't you dare defend yourself, don't you dare argue back, don't you give them the, you're not grateful, you got no idea all the things I did for you, all the sacrifices I made for you. No, no, hear the truth. Um, you can't be a redemptive, healing, helpful truth teller to others without coming to grip with your own sin, your own stuff, right? Um, so important. You know, um, um, consider this. Um, girl's home, maybe she grew up in this home. She's, uh, she's 24, 25, she comes home for a weekend and she notices something and she pulls her uh, dad aside later and she says, Dad, you know the other night at the dinner table? I want to say something. Is it, is it okay if I say something? You know when mom was telling a, 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 some stories about our past and, and, and us kids? She said, I couldn't help but notice, but four or five times you interrupted her story and you corrected her. And, and maybe your recollection's more accurate, but you know what? Who cares? Um, and it had the effect, Dad, I have to be honest with you, of belittling mom of coming across like you were superior. And, uh, and dad, you know why that broke my heart? Because if there's one thing I know about you, you love our mother like crazy. You would do anything for her. Everything I've learned about love, I've learned from you. You see the spirit of that? It's saying truth, but it's saying it with a, a, a gentle, you know, a husband could come home and, and say to his wife, well, you turn off your cell phone, you got your face in the cell phone, what kind of relationship can we have um, if you're so tethered to, and half the time you're shopping on there anyway, there goes the money. Um, why don't you, you know, Amazon, 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 Amazon. Now that's one way you could say, you know, another way you could say it is, sweetheart, I wanna say something, and, uh, and I don't, you know, and if you were to immediately say, you know, you're really uh, more guilty of this than I am, you'd be absolutely right. Because I, I want us to connect more, and, and I think phone use is a problem. Um, but, you know, as I even think about that, I think of all the times that you've wanted to connect with me, but I've got my face in a football game. Or, uh, or I'm, I want to just watch Netflix. I don't want to engage, really. Um, but you know, the, the time you're spending, when I, and I realize you got the kids all day and, and you just wanna veg, and that phone, um, you just wanna go there. 
but it's hurting our it's hurting our connection and i want that connection so i want us both to work on this you game for that see the difference of that way of communicating fellow sinners um fighting for the better place one last thing on truth be as committed to telling affirmative truth as you are to as corrective truth right because people don't just fail to see the, the, the rotten stuff about them. They also fail to believe what? That they're cherished, that they're loved, that they matter to God, right? And they need constant affirmation of that. So the power of life is in the tongue. Jesus gave you words, the power of words, and change a life forever. Do you know that? Affirmative words. When I finished the funeral for my brother, I was 28 years old. It was the most scary experience of my life to have to bury my brother, to have to do the graveside, to have to go to the church, to have to look at my mother in the front row. Doing the funeral for my own brother, my knees were shaking. And I'll never forget when I walked down off the podium and the service was over, my mother, who's not affectionate, very reserved, put her arms around me and she whispered in my ear, Raymond, you are so brave. You are so brave. I've never been brave a day in my life. I was scared out of my mind. Do you know how many times I've faced situations since that scared the snot out of me and I heard my mother's words? You're so brave. The power to love with words. Got it? So one more thing. Second point. And that is uh, this, this little anger of Jesus. How does that direct us to love? Because Jesus got angry a lot. When we get angry, it's because we've been inconvenienced, disregarded. We don't get our way. So our anger is about us. But Jesus' anger is when wrong has been done to other people. He's angry because of callousness or arrogance or injustice. So when do we see Jesus angry? When do you see Jesus angry? I read one of the cases for you, the man with the withered hand, right? The Pharisees planted that man there. They don't care about that man. He's a tool. They're trying to catch Jesus, right? Trying to say that it's okay to heal a man on the Sabbath so they can prove him wrong. Jesus is angry at their, um, at their callousness. He's angry. Do you know another time we see Jesus angry? When parents are bringing children to Jesus and the disciples what? Stop them. You know what it says? They were bringing children and the disciples were rebuking the parents and when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he was indignant. Let them come to me, do not hinder them, right? Jesus is mad when children, the powerless, are disregarded. It's another time we see Jesus mad. What's sort of the quintessential example? The temple, right? Jesus makes a whip 
chases out the, why, does he, why is Jesus so angry at this uh, action in the temple? Because all that action was in the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles weren't allowed uh, inside the temple, only the Jews were. But there was a space set out for people who came far away to, uh, to meet God. Well, they didn't care about those people. So they just abrogated that space for their commercial activities because Gentiles don't matter. People far from God don't matter. This makes Jesus mad. So Jesus gets angry when the handicapped aren't cared for, when children are hindered from coming to him, and when uh, the, the immigrant is not welcome. When immigrants are not welcome, Jesus is angry. His anger is about others. His anger is self-sacrificial. Think of when Jesus gets angry in the temple, then powerful men decide to destroy him. His anger is sacrificial. His anger is redemptive. Think about it. A man gets a new hand because Jesus got angry. Children are held and hugged and loved because Jesus got angry. And the leeches in the temple are chased away because Jesus got angry. His anger is powerful. It's healing. It's loving. How do we love like that? You with me? All right, coming to the finish line. Ice cream's right out there. How do we love like that? Um, how, do we how, how do we take a passion when we see something wrong, something unjust, something that's injuring people, and it, and it wells up in us in a passion? In our world, you know what people do? They post a social media post and they're outraged about it. Now they feel more woke. Then they don't do anything. They just want to post about it. That's what they do about it. How do we actually move into the mess and serve and care and sacrifice and bring healing and hope? Ann Jones read a book about little girls in India and Amy Carmichael, a missionary who a long, long time ago cared about little uh, girls in India that were thrown away. And it resonated in Ann Jones' heart and she did something about it, right? Um, so the Gardner family knows immigrants in Honduran family that desperately needs to um, escape the danger and the poverty they're in. And they have fought for years through our own immigration system to get them the proper um, uh, credentials to enter into our country. They do something about it, right? Garnet Miller, who started this church with her husband, knew that adults uh, who had special needs, their families couldn't care for them. Their families uh, grew old and died and left them in dire straits. Something had to be done. So you know what she did? She started the Key Center 60 years ago. Do you know what her husband, Sam? He was a doctor in his 60s when he said, God sent me to Citrus County to start a church and I've never done it. Now, I don't know what I'm doing in my 60s to try to do this but I'm gonna to try to start a church. You know why? Because I'm burdened by the fact that all the churches in Citrus County are retirees. They're filled just with retirees. There's no church reaching children in this community. We have to have a church like that. And so Sam Miller started a church called Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church. That's what it means to have a passion well up inside of you. I can tell you that there are women in our church who said, they wish somebody had cared for them and loved them when they were teenagers so they didn't become sexually active 
when they were 11 and 12 and 14 and 15 in a way that's uh, adversely affected their life. So they started a ministry called Aspire, right? This is what God's people do. They take this zeal and they pour it into healing and hope for other um, people. That's why there's a Seven Rivers Christian School. Because God took a little boy in Miami, Florida and filled him with zeal and a passion that children should have teachers who every day in every subject say to them, this is our Father's world. So, love's hard. Nobody loved harder than Jesus. He used his passion and anger to take on sin, death, the devil, darkness. He got nailed to a tree in his passion. And he spoke words, even from that tree, didn't he? Father, what? Forgive them. He said, it is finished. The debt is paid. I've done it. I've covered the sins of my people. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Words of love. Zeal produced love. And then words that say, to all you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Listen, there's nobody like our Jesus. Isn't he something? Amen. Jesus, we want to love like you love. And um, we need to be swept away by your love. We need to taste it, experience it, in all our failure, in all our weakness, to know that you paid it all for us, that you pursued us, that you would not be separated from us, that you said, suffer the children to come unto me. Do not hinder them. And everything that was needed to bring us to you, you cleared away every barrier so that you could have us as your brothers and sisters. And for this we rejoice. There's nobody like you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.